Welcome, teacher friend. I'm Lori. And I'm Melissa. We are two literacy educators in Baltimore. We want the best for all kids, and we know you do too. Our district recently adopted a new literacy curriculum, which meant a lot of change for everyone. Lori and I can't wait to keep learning about literacy with you today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Melissa and Lori Love Literacy, Literacy Podcast. Today, we are talking about the science of reading and teacher prep. Woo! Let's keep yes. talking about it. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Until the right person hears us. I don't know who that is, but someone. The, pr- the president. <laughs> so important. <laughs> yes, President Biden. I don't know if I'll do anything about I know. this, but maybe I, just somebody. somebody needs to hear it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in, in a few minutes, we will roll the podcast with Hannah Putman. She wrote a piece that caught our attention, uh, getting districts and teacher prep on the same page on reading. Oh, preach. It pays off. It pays off. Yeah, it okay. pays off. Um, and it, it's based on research from, uh, is it Calder? Calder? Do you know? Is it Calder? I'm not, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> I'm not going to gonna pretend I know that one. <laughs> yep. But uh, anyway, it's based on some great research that we do share uh, both in the podcast as well as in the show notes. And uh, Hannah also shares a resource from NCTQ and uh, National Council on Teacher Quality and um, shares action guides that are really usable and accessible. So we share those as well. Very cool. Yeah. Melissa, I know you have some thoughts on this. For a few (laughs) minutes. I do have some thoughts and I wasn't able to make it to Hannah's interview. So I made Lori um, chat with me for a little bit (laughs) so that I could share my thoughts too. Uh, But there were a couple articles that, that came out recently that just like, I'm like, oh yeah, like this is Actually, I don't even think they came out recently. I just like came across them recently. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is an article from Edweek that is, well, the science of reading catch on and teacher prep, which I think is actually from a couple of years ago, if I'm mm-hmm. not wrong. Um, I think so. Which is the same question we're asking, right? Like, is it going? 2019. Yeah. 20, same 2019. question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So still asking that question. It doesn't feel like it's moving too far, but I'm glad that, that this question is being asked. Um, what I, what I think is really interesting from that article is that, you know, these, it's, it's the same thing we've been saying, Laurie, is that like, we, we went through our teacher prep programs. We came out on the other end without the actual knowledge we needed to teach kids how to read. <laughs> no. Right. And like, Ooh, like that's not, not great. Not great. Not great. And I think one of the quotes that struck me and actually when we did that little exercise where we both pulled quotes from the article we Mm -hmm. uh, pulled the same (laughs) quote uh the the author of this article in edweek said it wasn't until her philadelphia charter school paid for sachetti or sachetti to earn certification through an explicit systematic phonics program that she finally understood the evidence-based strategies for teaching early reading yeah and i feel like that that's really been hitting home for me recently like Mm -hmm. You know, in Baltimore, we started the letters training. We've had you know, Mississippi on where they're they're doing it. And there was mm-hmm. a this was a recent article from North Carolina because North Carolina is, I think, the whole state maybe mandating um, the letters training or a similar training. Um, but the, you know, even the title of that article is like this: <laughs> this training is now making t- weary teachers spend hour, long hours learning. Right, which is like. In the article, they said, like, they want to learn this, but especially this year is like a Mm -hmm. tough year already. 
So on top of that, now you're asking me to learn even more. And my thought, my initial thought when I saw this article was like, why aren't we learning it when we are being trained to be a teacher? Like, why are we waiting until after when teachers are teaching to, to have them do this extra training when it does feel like a burden? It feels like extra, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I know. And I, it's just, it's so, it's so much to ask of teachers, especially this year, but I, if it was, if it was part of undergrad, I mean, it should be part of undergrad is our yeah. point, but if it were part of undergrad, then they would go in and then they'd have a foundation to build on. So, you know, thinking about what teachers do during their teaching time, then they could be applying what they learned in undergrad, which I mean, optimally would be the best case scenario. And then if they do choose to go on to get a master's or another certification, that could really extend or deepen the knowledge that they already have. But when they're trying to, I mean, I just think about how, you know, stressed I get when I'm trying to learn something new and they're teaching full time in a very stressful year. I mean, not that not, not that teachers don't have unstressful years, but <laughs> <laughs> that's true. But this is like this year feels year. a little bit more yeah, <laughs> stressful. Um, yeah, I just, yeah, I you're trying to... to learn something new in that space. And it's like, are, are you available to learn? It's hard. Yeah. It's hard. And like, why not learn it when you are in that space to learn when you're mm-hmm. going to school? <laughs> that's <laughs> the you're purpose. signing up to learn. So there's mm-hmm. actually a tweet that I came across um, just the other day. And I think I retweeted it from Jasmine 1980. Um, who's Shout teacher. out to Jasmine 1980. Um, and she said the letters course needs to be turned into units for initial teacher education at every university. This is the depth of knowledge needed to teach reading. My recent experience confirms exactly why we are so underprepared to effectively teach reading and writing and I'm angry. And like mm. you should be <laughs> right like that's. I'm like, also angry. I also in the article that um, will the science of reading catch on in teacher prep? It goes on to share how much time and money was spent not learning how to teach reading. Right. Right. That I think, you know, I mean, those are big buckets, time, mm-hmm. money. Those are pretty important mm-hmm. buckets in life. <laughs> like we need to, we need to really be shifting how uh, colleg- collegiate spaces are yeah. teaching, teaching teachers to teach reading. And there's a lot of teachers like Jasmine who are like, you know, after taking a letters training or, or in Gillingham, these trainings that get really deep into how to teach kids how to read, who have a very similar response to someone in the article that I didn't write down who it was, but the person quoted. Now I feel like I could take a student and I could teach them how to read. Whereas before I felt like I was just reading with kids. Yeah. And yeah. like, that's the same, like now, like, those trainings are so valuable. Why are we not giving them to every teacher and giving them that same confident feeling going into the classroom? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, Hannah has a lot to say on this and uh, we are going to hear from her so that we can get into her article or her piece, getting districts and teacher prep on the same page on reading pays off. And we're going to hear how, why it does that. mind just by sharing a little bit about yourself um, and kind of what prompted you to write this piece. And I think this will be really authentic because we didn't do a pre-call. So I actually don't know anything about you other than your email signature and what I found when <laughs> when we emailed back and forth. So Hannah, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. 
so I, my name is Hannah Putman. I'm the managing director of research at the National Council on Teacher Quality, which is a nonprofit driven by the mission that every child deserves access to effective teachers and every teacher deserves the opportunity to become effective. And we really look at the institutions that support teachers on this path. So we look at the preparation programs that teach people how to become teachers, the states and district policies that really affect people's day-to-day -day work, the, who can enter the profession, how much they get paid, how they're evaluated. Um, and the, the blog post that I wrote was about a recent study coming out of the Calder Center, uh, the Center for Analysis of Longitudinal, Longitudinal Data in <laughs> Education Research, um, which does fantastic work. And they had written this really interesting study looking at the intersection of two of these institutions. So looking at uh, the relationship between what people, and especially um, special education elementary teachers, are learning in their preparation program about how to teach reading and then what their districts are expecting them to teach their special education students. Yeah. And it's I, often, well, there, there's not as much research on special education teachers and students in general as we would like, but especially much of the research focuses on either teacher preparation or school district practices, but so little looks at the intersection. Mm -hmm. um, and what they found was that not only does what people learn in each of those places matter, but it's really the way that those different institutions work together that can either have the greatest benefit for students or can actually do harm if teachers aren't teaching research-based practices. That's really important. And thank you for, for calling out that research. I, I realize it's a, a pretty generous body of research. <laughs> so I will link that in the show notes if anybody would like to go on and, and read that. I'll also link your piece. Um, I'm just also going to name it right now. Uh, it came out on September 23rd, 2021, getting districts and teacher prep on the same page on reading pays off. And you just did uh, a little summary of that. And um, I, I'm curious about when you were, were writing this, um, who's your audience? Like, is your audience teachers? Is it leaders? Is it everyone in the educational field. I feel like sometimes I know, you know, myself when I was a teacher back in the day, I didn't necessarily think of myself as someone who would be interested in, you know, policy, which I feel like is where this uh, really fits. And, but I do think that teachers are starting to rise up and be interested in policy because it does impact the classroom so much. So uh, if you could just share a little bit about the, the audience, that'd be really awesome. Sure. So this blog came out in our teacher quality bulletin, which is a monthly newsletter that we put out. Um, and while the audience is largely geared toward um, policymakers at the state and district level, towards teacher preparation program leaders and faculty, um, we also really want to make this accessible to parents, to advocates, to, uh, to teachers, especially. Um, I, I was a teacher myself for a few years, <laughs> quite a while back. And generally teachers don't have the time or necessarily the the background in how to read the actual research studies. I mean, this paper that I that I wrote the blog about was a 50 some odd page study with econometric models. It's really complicated. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know many teachers who are in the classroom today who have the time to read that kind of thing, right. um, much as it might, you know, help inform their practice. And so what we try to do <laughs> with these 
with these blogs is really distill research down to the most salient points that we can capture in a page or so. Um, and for, for teachers, I, I think this piece, knowing that not everybody is being taught the best way to teach reading um, and not everybody's districts are expecting them to teach the, the best way to teach reading is really helpful to know because you spoke of it to your experience before, and I've heard from so many other teachers that often they're just not taught what the research says is good reading practice. And they're never going to know that until they are taught the, the right way to teach. And so calling attention to that so that teachers can start to question their own practice, what they've been taught is so important. And so while teachers are not necessarily our, our primary audience, I think it is a really great opportunity for them to get some insight into what researchers are saying that is just not accessible to them otherwise. Yeah, thank you. And this is very accessible. I will say I read it and then, uh, you know, you had linked the research within and I thought, oh, okay, I'll come back to that. <laughs> Another day when I have a little bit more time to read 50 pages here, but thank you, Hannah, for summarizing. It for us. <laughs> um, I also want to note the uh, graph that you included in your piece, and I'd love to talk a bit about that, um, because I think that that is really, really important. Um, it, it, it shares the, the literacy practices that are used in schools, and then um, it talks about the one, it talks about the, the disconnection between how teacher prep programs are preparing teachers. So um, would you mind sharing a little bit about that? Sure. So what they did was the, the researchers surveyed the actual preparation programs. This is based in work in Washington state, and there are 13 preparation programs there that train aspiring special education teachers. And so they surveyed the leaders and faculty of those programs to find out what is it that they're teaching aspiring teachers about how to teach reading. And then they also surveyed the school district leaders of special education programs across the state, all the places that these aspiring teachers end up getting jobs to find out what literacy practices are you emphasizing. Um, and they had a few really interesting findings. Um, First, they found that districts were not all emphasizing the practices that, that are considered evidence-based. So the ones that fit into what's known as the science of reading, the phonics, phonological awareness, uh, fluency, comprehension, vocabulary. Um, they found that when districts tended to do these practices, they tended to do all of them. They did what's called factor analysis to see which of these survey items kind of cluster together. And districts tended to do all of those or very few of them, um, which was very interesting. It's not like people were kind of picking and choosing. It was the districts clearly have kind of a school of thought of how they're teaching reading. Um, that is so or, interesting. Like it's like an all or nothing approach. It was. It, and it's, I mean, it's, those of us who've kind of followed the reading wars know that there is kind of a, a philosophy of you do all of these, but for these researchers to independently verify um, not by asking about a, a district's kind of broader philosophy of reading, but just which specific components are you emphasizing that in the responses they could see that that's kind of hanging together was, was really interesting. Um, and then conversely, they asked about some practices that are not as based in research um, and found that while those were less prevalent, there are still a fair number of districts that are practicing them. And, and a lot of Teacher can teachers who are in districts that practice those. Yeah, um, but they also found a big disconnect between what what teachers were being taught in their programs and what teachers were expected to teach in the classroom. Um, and one of those big disconnects was around those evidence based practices. 
where people were much more likely to be in a district that is expecting them to teach phonics, phonological awareness than to have, but it was quite often that their preparation program hadn't actually taught them that. So they were going to the classroom without this information that they needed to have. Yeah. Did it continue to share, and and I will say I I didn't get through the whole 50-page report. Um, (laughs) I know we were talking today and I read your piece and I read parts of that, but did it continue to share what should, like any recommendations or what uh, could possibly positively impact this? Yeah. So what they found, one of of the really interesting findings was that, I mean, the, the research Past research shows that that students learn more about how to read when their teachers are teaching these evidence-based practices. Um, And they found that that's true when when teachers were in preparation programs that taught them those practices, their students learn more about how to read or Mm -hmm. they become stronger readers. When they're in districts that are emphasizing those practices, their students learn more. Um, But the greatest gains were for students whose teachers were in programs that taught these practices and whose districts emphasize it. It's not surprising, but it really shows that it's not just that somebody can learn this once they enter the classroom and they're good to go, that they are really going to benefit most from kind of a systemic um, being taught evidence-based reading from preparation through when they're in the classroom, that they have curricular materials that are emphasizing the right way to teach reading. Um, And so the researchers don't really get into the weeds about what that looks like, but they they make reference to... um, teacher preparation program and school district partnerships and saying that that should extend into things like curriculum, curricular materials um, to make sure that the materials used in in the classrooms really match what the research says is effective. Um, Yeah, that reminds me of, um, I'm not sure if you've read Morgan Polakoff's book about, uh, it's called Beyond Standards. I have not. not <laughs> I, okay. heard of it. I, I know we didn't talk about this, but um, we just spoke with him. So I think that that's why it's top of mind. Um, but he he wrote a brilliant book about the uh, the educational impact of the standards and over mm-hmm. time and, and what that's done to the infrastructure of education. And um, it I think it it really speaks it, it intertwines with what you're talking about today, like the teacher prep programs really do need to be in alignment with what's happening in the field. Um, and I, I mean, I, I feel like we, I'd love to interview or talk to or have some insights from, you know, a state superintendent who is looking to make the shift and like really be able to articulate that process or even uh, talk with some who've done it successfully. And of course, Louisiana comes to mind. Um, but I, I wonder, like, what what do you think, um, you know, state superintendents or leaders of states who are able to be supportive of local education agencies in transitioning uh, to high quality materials and transitioning to alignment uh, from, I mean, essentially, I guess we're talking about alignment from <laughs> from birth to all, I guess, collegiate level, you know, mm-hmm. um, what, what could that look like or, or what would we want them to hear or know what, in your opinion? 
Yeah, so we, uh, National Council on Teacher Quality, actually released an action guide for states about a year ago called the Four Pillars, where we kind of give some guidelines around um, what state leaders should do in terms of setting guidelines for teacher preparation programs, uh, setting parameters for instructional materials that are used at the K-12 level to make sure they're high quality using strong assessments. Um, so there's there's very actionable steps that state leaders can take. Um, I think one of my favorite examples, actually, <clears throat> in terms of looking at systems level change comes from Mississippi, um, where they have taken on improving reading instruction at both teacher preparation and at K-12. And mm -hmm. one of the big challenges is, unfortunately, not all teacher preparation program reading faculty actually know the science of reading. There's been past research I that know. Has, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if they've been trained in, you know, the whole language approach, that's what they know. And so that's what they go on to teach. And, and there's been research where they actually give uh, reading faculty tests akin to the licensure test that a, that a teacher would take and find that not all reading faculty actually know, you know, the component, you know, phonics and, and some of the basics that an elementary teacher needs to know. Yeah. Um, and so what Mississippi did was work with preparation programs to revamp their, their syllabi, but also provide optional training for reading faculty. Um, I, I think they used the letters program to make sure that they knew the science of reading. They also provided um, training at the K-12 level to teachers. And so they were really trying to target get kind of across the board um, because strong curricular materials are great, but if you have somebody using them who doesn't understand the, the process behind them, you're not going to get very far. That's right. And if the person who taught the person who's using the materials <laughs> doesn't understand. <laughs> It's, it's just such a domino effect. And, and I, I think that's why I appreciated your pieces, um, you know, and the research that you highlighted within it is that it, it's digging into the root cause and, and really asking the questions that we need to ask in order to get to the, the root of it. But I often think of this as like, it is not as easy as saying, okay, we're going to fix teacher prep programs and everything is just going to flow beautifully from there. <laughs> it's really this like side in approach that has to happen. Like we, you know, um, like you said, teacher prep programs really need to educate their staff. And um, it's just so important that, that everyone have the knowledge that they need so they feel confident doing the job that they have to do. And that in includes all kinds of teachers at the collegiate level, at the uh, elementary level, at the middle and high school level. And, and what that looks like, for, I mean, I, I would it would be really exciting to think about this as like an overhaul of the educational system. You know, the impetus for that overhaul, um, I feel like we're at a really important point in time in education right now. Yeah, and I, I do think that we are, as you say, we are at an inflection point um, where a lot of people have been trained in kind of old debunked ways of teaching, but we are seeing real progress. We've seen many more preparation programs teaching scientifically based reading instruction, but still a ways to go. We still have half of programs uh, when when my organizations last looked at them that are still not teaching even three out of the, or, sorry, even four out of the five components of of reading. So we're, there's a ways to go, but we are seeing progress. But I, and one of the biggest challenges is there's this, um, there's this other kind of school of thought of how to teach reading called balanced literacy, which is seen as kind of the middle ground between whole language and scientifically based reading instruction it's supposed to be the best of both worlds. Sure. Um, and one of the, one of the findings from this 
study in Washington state actually found that districts that emphasize balanced literacy, their students learn less. Like it is, it is doing harm. They, they saw about 5% of a standard deviation, less growth in reading for those students. So this idea that many teachers espouse to many preparation program uh, faculty teach of like, we're going to teach it all. And the, you know, more approaches, more methods is better is, is not the case. And it's actually making it harder for students to learn to read. Um, so I think we are at an inflection point, but there's, there's some yeah. uh, strongholds out there that are, that are hard to move. That's true. And I'm, could you just name um, what encompasses balanced literacy and uh, you know, I think for listeners, it might be helpful to name things like if they're, if um, you know, I'm thinking about like workshop models and things like that, that are just that it's considered this balanced scale approach versus going deep into phonics, going deep into knowledge building. Um, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about that. Sure. So uh, I, I was trying to find a good definition of balanced literacy and it's kind <laughs> of all over the place um, that there's, yeah. it, it's kind of seems like it's, you know, in the eye of the beholder. So for when people talk about scientifically based reading instruction or evidence-based reading, there are five core components that you're teaching phonemic awareness, phonics, uh, fluency, vocabulary, comprehension, and not just that you're teaching each of these things in isolation. There's supposed to be a systemic, um, sequential kind of approach to teach all of these things. Whole language, on the other hand, is more of this idea that teacher that students are just going to kind of absorb reading, which I mean, honestly, like that's that's how I my parents read to me a lot. I picked up on it easily. Like I don't remember getting clear cut phonics instruction. I remember just kind of picking up on how to read. And the idea is lots of kids can pick up on reading that way, but that's just not how it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and then can I, can I make a, a quick note? There's um, there's a documentary coming out called The Truth About Reading. Have you heard of it? I have not. Okay, I'll send you the trailer after this. Um, We interviewed their documentary team and then they sent us the trailer when it came out. And to that point of what you just said, like lots of kids learn that way. Um, Some kids do learn that way and you're right. But what the the moment in the trailer that struck me and and spoke to what you just mentioned is, uh, and one of the uh, experts that they interviewed said, it would be like having a child listen to Mozart and you know, play uh, playing Mozart for for years and, and having the child listen to it and then sitting the child at a piano and saying, OK, now you play <laughs> like that is that is yeah. what we're asking students to do. And while some <laughs> may be able to to strike some notes, many are unable to learn that way. So I just right. wanted to interject that like really tangible example for, for people yeah. listening. That is a great analogy. Um, and yeah, and, and research bears that out that there are, there are a portion of students who, who will just kind of pick up on reading. Um, but the thing is, many students without this systemic explicit instruction will not. But with appropriate reading instruction, we can go from right now only, you know, a third of students who are reading proficiently. Um, the reading gap can close substantially that we can get down to fewer than one in 10 students not being able to read on grade level just by using appropriate instruction. So rather than relying on this approach that, you know, works for some kids and is maybe fun because you read a lot of stories Mm -hmm. that appropriate reading instructions 
really gets nearly every child on grade level so that every child can engage in reading um, on their own, which is which is the goal. Um, and and balanced literacy is is supposed to be this blend of both. Um, one of the features of it that people talk a lot about is the three queuing system, yep. where if you don't know a word, there's supposed to be a few different strategies that you can try, including looking at the pictures around the word or guessing the word <laughs> <in> context clues. Um, and I was watching, uh, you probably saw one of Emily Hanford's uh, mm-hmm. documentaries uh, that came out a few months ago. She interviewed two students, one of whom had been taught um, scientifically based reading instruction, one of whom had been taught balanced literacy. And she asked the two kids, if you come to a word you don't know, what do you do? And one of the kids said, well, I, I sound it out. Like I look at the letters, I figure out what sounds they make, and I sound out the word. And the other kid says, oh, I, I look at the pictures and I guess that that kid is not going to learn how to read <laughs> what, what no. when she gets to a textbook that only has one picture on every page and it doesn't tell you all the words so which is um, literally the majority of books that you read in your life like right. <laughs> or need so to these, read <laughs> so these strategies like they are they are kind of coping mechanisms that end up replacing the hard work that students need to do to get to the point of being able to read fluently. Whereas instead, what you should be doing is learning how to sound out the words that process kind of helps the words become almost like muscle memory. And so you don't, you know, once you've seen the word a dozen times, you're not sounding it out every time, you you know the word, but simply seeing the word and guessing what it is based on a picture, you're not making that muscle memory. Um, And so this, by, by teaching these coping mechanisms, you're, you're helping students avoid doing the hard work that actually makes them stronger readers. Yeah. The hard work that their brain needs to do. Like it's like weightlifting, (laughs) right? Their brain needs to like do that work so that they can grow stronger. That's a really great way to put it. Thank you for that. Um, I, we always ask our, our guests and I did not, uh, preview this for you, but I have a feeling that you will be just fine. Um, we always ask our guests to leave our listeners with a piece of advice. Um, and so I'm curious if you could just think about um, teachers and, and leaders listening to this podcast and share with them a piece of advice that you'd like them to have after considering this piece that we just talked about and the research that holds it strong. Yeah. So when thinking about reading instruction, I I think the greatest challenge for teachers is that many people just don't know what they don't know. Um, I I think when you go into the classroom, especially if you've been taught an approach that is, you know, you've been taught it by your preparation program, you you assume that they know what they're talking about. Um, You may not realize that there's this whole other way of teaching reading that you've just never been introduced to. Um, And it sounds like just so many teachers have that experience. Um, So I would say if, as you're listening to this or, or doing other reading, if it seems like you are in that position of there, there is this whole way of teaching reading um, that you are just never taught, seek out the resources to help you learn how to do it because for your students, that that's what they need. <laughs> they need strong reading instruction. They need teachers who know it. And it's, it's not teacher's fault that they weren't taught it. It's a breakdown in the system, um, but it's, it's never too late to learn what you don't know yet. I love that. Thank you, Hannah. And Hannah, thank you so much for joining me and for engaging in this conversation around this beautiful piece that you wrote. And uh, we will link your piece. We'll link the research for anyone who has time to read it um, or who would like to learn more. And we'll also link that action guide that you mentioned. Thank you for that. Great. Thank you so much for having me and for all the great work that you're doing. This is really exciting. Yeah. Thank you so much. Have a good day, Hannah. Thank you. You too. Bye. 
Thank you so much for listening, literacy lovers. Be sure to visit our website to subscribe to our newsletter and podcast. It's literacypodcast.com. Yep. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Most of them are at Literacy Podcast. Yes. And please, please, please reach out to us. Melissa, what's our email address? Melissa and Lori at literacypodcast.com is our email address. And we love getting emails from you all. And <laughs> Lori we and really I really read them. Yeah, and we, we really, really respond. Fun. We just love, we love when you all reach out and we, we get to have conversations with you. So please, please email yep. us. Let us know what you're thinking, what you're thinking about literacy, what you're thinking about ideas for us to podcast about. Yes, ideas for <laughs> podcasting, anything. We, we love to hear from you what you liked, what you want. Yeah, We're here for you. Mostly y'all are asking questions, which is great. Yes. <laughs> we don't mind that either. Yes. We're so glad you're here to learn with us. Thank you, everybody.